Coming up, the ANA rebate report is imminent. We'll review last week's Media 360 conference. And we hit 10,000 views. Well done. Hello and welcome to IDCOM's Media Snack, episode 27. So today, uh, rumblings from the US, the ANA report into US media rebates is imminent. We're going to cover the key headlines and talking points from last week's Media 360 conference in Brighton. Mm -hmm. uh, and that will probably fill us up, actually, in terms yeah. of Media Snack today. The only other thing to say is that we've hit 10,000 views, so thank you very much. Uh, just the beginning, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, but more of that, all coming up on today's IDCOM's Media Snack in just the time it takes to eat a sandwich. Okay, so first up today, uh, big news has dropped in uh, the Wall Street Journal yesterday, actually ran a piece announcing that the ANA's report into media rebates, which we've been talking about quite a lot over the last few months, you might have noticed, um, the Wall Street Journal have said that the report is imminent. So we've been anticipating the ANA publishing this in the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, so now we're uh, kind of on tenterhooks, as you, as you might say. Uh, in the next few days or hours, uh, we're expecting the report to be right. released by the ANA. So we, we believe it's either going to be today or Monday. Um, but what the ANA have done is that they've previewed the report with uh, a select number of their members. Mm. Obviously, some of the larger advertisers have already been exposed to the findings of the report. Um, and I, I, apparently, they've also shared it with one or two agency networks to sort of gauge their, their reaction to it. And uh, this report and these findings, I think, were leaked to, uh, to the journalist at the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And, uh, and she's published a kind of quite thought-provoking piece around it. Um, yeah. And... You know, she's suggesting that the findings could be uh, relatively alarming, yeah. uh, which I'd imagine is going to make uh, a lot of uh, industry uh, people quite nervous yeah. over this weekend, yeah. especially on the agency side. Yeah, you think so. Um, and they, she asked for quotes from, from the agencies, and most of them have actually stonewalled it. Um, a couple of agencies didn't provide any quotes whatsoever. Yeah. But going into next week, they certainly will have to. Yeah. I mean, I think it was interesting that the, that the journals picked this up. I think it's telling now the scale of this story um, and that the interest is not just, it's not a trade issue. You know, it's been in the, in the financial press uh, quite a lot. Both the, the journal and the FT yeah. um, and even the New York Times have been kind of previewing, if you like, this story and the progress that the ANA have been making. Um, but I think it's indicative of the level of attention now that this report has gathered. Um, we obviously still don't know the actual contents of the report. Um, you know, we're hearing that it's you know, significant and substantive and alarming. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the findings will be, as you say, a good, a good wake-up call, hopefully, to you know, the CMO and CEO, or the, you know, the board level of, of large organizations. I think given that it's got exposure in the journal, yeah. it's gonna have that audience now. Um, and uh, you know, we'd expect that you know, as of Monday, when the report perhaps is dropping, or Tuesday, mm -hmm. 
that a CMO and, a, and perhaps even a particular CEO or a CFO will now really have, have a point of view, right? Yeah. And and you know, for the for the media community, for the branded media community on the on the advertiser side, they're going to have to have a point of view. They're going to have to have yeah. a perspective because they're going to be asked. We imagine some some interesting questions from the C-suite, uh, certainly the CMOs, if not the CEOs, yeah. uh, around this because you know if this practice has been going on for a uh, a long time, which you know, the, the reports are suggesting that it has been, mm. then there are going to be some interesting questions. And, and the guys that are responsible, the guardians of media within the advertising community, uh, are going to have to have a perspective and a point of view. Yeah. So I'd imagine they're busily working out what narrative that uh, they're going to be sharing with their senior management as well. Yeah. So with, so with the report due imminently, mm. um, so if you were a, a US media director, what would you be, or what should you be thinking, do you think, right now? Well, the first thing is I would be anticipating some interesting questions coming down the chain, either yeah. from my CMO or uh, from the kind of the C-suite in general. So I would be preparing a perspective, have a point of view on the mm. report. Um, the, the, the second thing that I would be uh, looking at would be seeing this as an opportunity, seeing that, that this raises media probably as high as it's ever been on the corporate agenda. Mm. And I would use that as an opportunity to take a mandate, uh, grab a mandate to bring back responsibility for media yeah. governance internally, yeah. if that has been relinquished to the agencies. And thirdly, I would be trying to calm uh, my kind of marketing community yeah. um, uh, within my organisation. No knee-jerk reactions. Yeah. Um, but I would use this to, to try and establish a more considered strategic approach to yeah. media governance. Yeah, um, which has to be a bit a, more of a long-term view. Yeah. Given that, you know, as we've talked about, agency, as a, you know, agency influences consolidate into these six big companies which control 90% of global spend. They are hugely important and valuable partners for these brands. Um, and we have to think about the long-term and how to build those more kind of productive long-term relationships. But with the oversight, that's the opportunity now, right, to get that right. Um, so we'll see the report uh, early next week. We will be doing a Media Snack special uh, just on that, as you might imagine, just with our analysis of, uh, of the findings. Um, but following up from that, Lookout will be giving some very practical advice um, for people in that situation about how to uh, you know, manage this internally yeah. and how to take a more strategic view of media governance uh, in the US and around the world, really. So next, uh, last week you attended... Uh, Media 360 conference in Brighton where the great and good of uh, the British marketing communications community were yeah. attending a, a conference. So um, I don't know why I was there. <laughs> neither do I. Uh, but Brighton's a nice place to, to spend. It was. It was a lovely days. day actually. It was really nice. Of course when you're in conference for two days of course the sun is shining down on the seaside. Mm. Um, but it is. It's, a two, it's an annual conference two days called Media 360. I guess the idea is that it takes a more kind of broad holistic view of the, uh, of the industry, allows us all to kind of stand back and debate some key issues. One of the strengths of 360 uh, is, unlike some other, uh, some other media conferences that you might go to, is that there's a really good 
quality kind of client attendance. Mm. I mean, you get it's real kind of lean in participation. The panels are very, very um, busy with very senior uh, marketing directors and media directors, um, mostly from the UK. Um, the agenda, the agenda has a brilliant headline this mm. year because the agenda says, you can, I don't know if you can read this, making sense of media, which I guess we all need to do, right, given its complexity, uh, disruption, chaos, but opportunity, uh, which is quite good. So there's a nice kind of theme. It was all about change and disruption and reinvention. Um, I sat through most of it. Um, the, the kind of key highlights, that, well, the things I was looking out for, mm. one thing mostly was that uh, a guy called Robert Peston, mm. which UK viewers might, uh, who UK viewers will know, um, is a celebrated journalist and broadcaster with a real kind of economic, good economic brain, uh, and, a, and a, in his own words, a shambolic delivery style, which has become a bit of a trademark, yeah. um, did a keynote on the second day, which is fascinating, talking about uh, the implications of uh, you know, Britain leaving the EU. It wasn't really media related, but it was a really interesting mm. thing. I won't bore you with the details, but you can find them online. Mm. Um, but second to, to Mr. Peston, there was a, uh, a panel with a headline, Does Media Need Reinventing? Okay. Uh, which was kind of interesting. And on that panel, you had representatives from the agency world, yeah. um, from uh, the very big, Mediacom, largest agency in the UK, and the little bit smaller, which was uh, Jenny from Seven Stars, who actually I interviewed last week on Media Snack. Um, and then also uh, Ed from Facebook, kind of representing the, the vendor perspective. And the client on the panel was Mark Zander, who's head of media uh, at Mars. Um, and so they discussed this, should media be need reinventing? Um, the... I mean, the key thing, and actually one of the biggest questions which came to Mark in the end, actually, was should planning and buying yeah. scope be split out? Um, I should say that the consensus of the panel, the full consensus, um, was that media does not need reinventing yeah, right. on the basis that they believe that it's kind of reinvented itself constantly mm. over the last 10 years. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly evolving. So reinventing... I think perhaps is a slightly yeah. uh, misleading word. Mm. Although they, they did a poll of the delegates attending, and 77% of people there, it's about 250 people mm. probably, 77% uh, said, yes, it does need really? reinventing. So there was a, a, a okay. clearly a difference of opinion. <laughs> right. And the panel were not that convincing, perhaps mm. in, their, uh, in their judgment of that. Right. The most interesting bit of that 40-minute discussion was really just about the splitting of planning and buying, because which we, we've we, heard... We, and we get a lot of questions lot. like that from our, from our clients, and, yeah. and it's, it's, it's relatively unique now for brands to, to split it's planning rare. and buying yeah. uh, across two agencies, although, although Mark um, uh, from Mars uh, is, is you know, the perfect uh, spokesman to speak about that, because they have actually split their planning and buying. And what was his yeah. point of view? What was the reason why, why Mars went into that as, a, as an approach, as a relatively unique approach? Yeah, I mean, were they... They didn't go out strategically to necessarily split planning and buying because this was put in the context of, you know, questions over media transparency and the hypothesis was, you know, should you, if you split planning away from buying, yeah. if they can corrupt each other, does that give you an advantage? And so Mark was clear that, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't separated planning and buying 
because of transparency reasons, although he said he, he thought that that was a benefit mm. and that the benefits actually uh, outweigh the, the cons of them being together. Yeah. Um, what Mars had been through, which he talked about, was the consolidation of planning into a single agency because right. it was previously spread. Um, and I think that's it's quite a sensible move mm. for a brand that needs a, a more of a global perspective on media. That kind of made sense. Um, so it's not like they had everything together and then they've split it out because of a concern. Right. It's just that they've, over time, evolved to a consolidated planning and it just happens to be separated in many markets from the buying agency. And he sees that, he, but he does believe that there is a greater sense of transparency and an ability to uh, you know, be more accountable on the buying while still maintaining the, the objectivity and the yeah. purity of the, of the planning. Yeah, because the, the, you know, the theory goes is that if you're worried that the agency's planning is in some way affected by uh, the way the agency is committed on their buying deals, so i.e. You know, there's particular things that they want to see on plans because that's where they might make money or they might have some trading arrangements, that of course can corrupt the objectivity of the planning. So the theory goes, if you split those things out, of course, the planning agency can plan media independently of any concern about the trading and the media buying mm. part, and they make a media plan, which you then hand off to a media buying agency, whose job it is to just go and buy that, acquire that media, and negotiate it and deliver it for the best possible price. Um, so it works in, it works in theory. Mm. Um, the practical realities, and Mark didn't say that they'd experienced this, um, but we've heard from other clients the practical realities of that. Um, that you, as a client, can sometimes get caught in the middle, though, of these yeah. two large organisations who are not necessarily being properly incentivized to collaborate. Um, and you create inertia. I mean, if, yeah. if your planning agency are committed to a particular plan that the buying agency aren't comfortable buying, you're stuck in the middle and uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't go anywhere. Yeah. That, that, would be, that would be, as a client, that would be my greatest fear, yeah. that you are constantly having to mediate between a buying agency that wants to buy a particular plan and a planning agency that believes that they should be buying a different plan. And you, and you have governance processes clearly established on both buying and planning. Yeah where you are, you are kind of auditing the planning side in as much detail as you are auditing the buying side. Yeah, exactly. And it obviously works for Mars. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can see it would be a, a, a significant challenge for a lot of brands. Yeah. And there was quite a lot of talk about planning as a discipline. Um, across Media360, it came up in, in a number of different panels. Uh, it was a great quote by Andrew Mortimer, who's a UK media director at Sky, um, in a panel previous to that, and he said that, the, in his uh, opinion, that the craft of planning, mm. and I'm assuming he's talking about media planning, but he said that the craft of planning has, be, has been lost to the obsession around metrics, which I thought was a nice mm. perspective, because we, I think we have lost that. We've, you know, the industry has become obsessed with buying media, yeah. particularly because digital media uh, opportunities have kind of promised hyper-efficiency, that we've become overly focused on that to our detriment, I think, as an industry, because too many brands have gone too far in, as we've talked about before, into digital <clears throat> without necessarily seeing the results, mm. and they've kind of bought into the idea and not the actual substance to it. And the planning has been really neglected. 
there isn't that oversight that you yeah. talk about. Some brands have now, you know, intentionally uh, separated or consolidated that away from the buying point, mm. perhaps to try and re-engineer that craft yeah. that Andrew was was talking about. But it's about finding an equilibrium, mm. isn't it? It's about yeah. it's about you know, delivering the right kind of diligence and focus on uh, uh, maintaining a competitive pricing position yeah. whilst establishing a really strong planning governance model. Yeah. And as long as you've got that equilibrium, that balance, I think it works. Yeah. But when, mm-hmm. when too much focus is on perhaps, you know, delivering lowest cost, uh, you know, one will invariably compromise the other. Yeah, exactly. I'd imagine that the issue of talent was raised amongst mm. the, the media community. Should be, the, be a good guess <laughs> at the conference. Yeah. Well, I mean, was it was it was it, was it a, a heavy focus on on concerns around talent or? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. I mean, you know, because it was called disruption, chaos, and opportunity. Mm. Um, there had to be some kind of concerns raised, I guess, about some various things. And talent, of course, has been talked about a lot from many different quarters. It seems to be that everybody's talking about it, including us. Yeah. Um, the uh, the biggest kind of headline grabber on this, actually, I'll read, I'll read this to you because this was uh, Tim Li- Tim Lindsay, who's a, uh, a well-known uh, uh, creative agency leader, uh, but now the CEO of the DNAD kind of awards, so awards for creativity and design, um, was on a panel talking about creativity and around media, but they got on to talking about talent, and he came up with this brilliant quote. He said, unless we provide millennials with more career satisfaction, we will struggle to recruit them. There is a tsunami approaching, mm-hmm. uh, which was quite dramatic. So this is the talent tsunami, not, yeah. the, not the pitch tsunami that we had, just to yeah. differentiate that, mm-hmm. uh, in case you're... Or the having, data tsunami. That, the data that, tsunami. Uh, that people have been referencing. It's quite scary, isn't it, at the moment, lots of tsunamis, yeah. right? Yeah, I'd imagine that that is a major, major concern for the industry, um, and and one that I know that you know we, we've been we've been focusing on, uh, and and our talent survey uh, closes today. Uh, so if you haven't completed it, uh, please do, um, and we'll be looking to share the findings of that report in a couple of weeks' time. We will. The link is below. We hit 10,000 views. Well done. Very good. Congratulations. Uh, very pleased about that. So that's a good, uh, good milestone for us. Long may it continue. But thank you for continuing to watch Media Snack. But that's it for this week. Bye for now. Have a good weekend.